Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Our mission is to help couples develop biblically healthy marriages through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. We desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. If you're ready to see big change in your marriage, a revival, be ready to hear four hard to answer questions today on Vows to Keep Radio. Because without being aggressive, how will we end up where we want to be? You're wondering, what's the one decision I can make that will bring revival to my marriage? And we'll get there by the end of this podcast, but first I want you to think about your marriage like a timeline. If your marriage and mine was drawn out on a timeline from the moment we started dating to where we are today, we might have some similar stories. We may have had kids at different times. Our careers might not be exactly parallel, but along the timeline, there would be highs and lows. There'd be life-altering moments and little day-to-day decisions. Even points where we thought we might break. But we put a stake in the ground and said, no, we're going to keep going. The first hard question we have for you today is this. What will the end of your marriage timeline look like? Will it be the moment of the very end when one or both of us passes away? I wonder if our story, if your story, will look like the one I heard last week. Norma and Daryl celebrating their 69th anniversary in the nursing home. Still dating, they do chair polka together every day because it was dancing that first brought them together. A lot of us, we don't look that far ahead, and that's why that question is a little difficult to answer. We're not sure how it's going to end because maybe we're not feeling so good about our marriage today even. Or sometimes like me, maybe today seems like so much. I've just got to get through this one more thing. And then I'll be in good shape. Then I'll be able to focus on my marriage for a while before that next big curveball comes my way. Trust me, I know exactly what that's like. Just a few weeks ago, I fell and broke my back for the second time. Yes, the second time. Those are the kind of things that are on our timeline for sure. But what if we did look ahead? Let me tell you, it would help us to answer our second question first. What will happen between now and the end? What if your marriage, my marriage, could experience a revival that would take us to the end? That sounds tempting. It's enticing. It's exciting even. A revival of our love. A rebirth of the passion that we had at one time. A deep friendship based upon loving the other person without any selfish motives in sight. There's one decision you can make. But spoiler alert, you're going to have to make it daily. Sometimes even moment by moment. A decision that will bring the kind of lasting change you're looking for. And that's what we're going to talk about today on Vows to Keep Radio, the show where you get sound biblical counsel you can apply immediately to your marriage. We're your hosts, David and Tracy Sellers of Vows to Keep. We are biblical marriage counselors. We're authors, teachers, podcast hosts, radio hosts, and conference speakers. And if you want to get back to being on fire for your spouse and for God, you're in the right place today. So here's your third hard question. A lot harder than the first two, actually. What would make you leave your marriage? Is there a sin that your spouse could commit that would make you jump off of your relationship timeline and start a new one with somebody else? I know that some people listening have a healthy marriage and you're here today because you want the opposite of that scenario. Your marriage is working, but you know it's not by chance. You've worked really hard to get it to be healthy and you're investing to keep it healthy. 
you're not even entertaining the thought of leaving. But even so, I want you to consider my question. What would make you leave your marriage? Is there some heinous sin that your spouse could commit that would make you say, I'm only going this far? Then there's listeners that are in the other camp. You've been wondering for a while if this relationship is even worth saving, if it's even possible to save. You've pictured your life without your spouse, and that's tempting. You're kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for them to mess up again, to give you an open door to exit this marriage with just cause. These three questions, what will the end of my marriage timeline look like? What will happen between now and then? And what would make me leave my marriage are the beginning of a conversation we want to have with you today about revival for your marriage. There's all this talk about revival. So what is it exactly? I like how Charles Spurgeon puts it. Revival is to live again, to receive again a life which has almost expired. Or in my words, a marriage that's almost expired. To rekindle into a flame the vital spark which was nearly extinguished. You can read of reports of this kind of spiritual awakening in the book of Acts. And there are dozens of other times in history that God has actually worked to turn the hearts of a group of people, even nations, to him. Revival is not just some experience. It's a turning back to our original convictions. It's our eyes being open to truths that we hadn't necessarily connected the dots on before. It can start in our own hearts as simply as just opening up God's word and asking him to help us to understand who he is, what he's asking us to do, and then having the conviction to follow through with obedience. Revival has been happening around our country, a turning back to our first love, which Christ actually compels us to do. Go check out Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5. We don't need to go to a certain place to have a revival of our hearts. It can happen in our living rooms. It can happen in your car right now, but it always starts with turning our hearts to Christ. One special marking of a revival is that all the other distractions, all the other things that seem so important, they fade away. Things come into sharp focus. We see clearly what yesterday was muddled. When we see Christ, we seek who he is, and we can't see who he is without seeing his love for us. And for me, the best place to start to understand that is to look at how he loves. It's everlasting. It's faithful to the end. It's a covenant kind of love. I hope, like me, you wish to translate that same understanding into our own marriages. I think we desire this kind of relationship with our wife or, or your husband, right? We want them to commit to a covenant love with us because our creator put in us this kind of deep desire for a covenant relationship with him. Our maker is the first covenant maker, the ultimate covenant keeper. He's proven since the beginning of time that he will keep his covenants with us. But we don't always acknowledge or even like to admit that it is he, that he is the only covenant keeper. Now that doesn't mean we're off the hook, quite to the contrary in fact, because he will never break his promise to us. We have to strive to also keep our vows to our spouse. But really, this all hits a chord with us because we want someone who will never leave or forsake us. The reality is that our sin and our spouse's sin will cause just that, a leaving, a forsaking. We sin in reaction to their sin and in an attempt to protect our own hearts, we hurt them too. 
So let's talk about this covenant love. So much of the little daily moments between a husband and a wife are based upon a judgment of whether or not my spouse is worthy of my love, whether or not they have earned or deserve my love, or if I even feel stirred by an emotion for them and therefore give them my love in response to my emotion. We live in a contract kind of love most days. You don't hold up your end of the deal, so I don't have to hold up mine. If this is your MO in your house, you better believe your spouse knows it. The elephant in the room is getting bigger every day. So why is tit for tat kind of love our tendency? I think it boils down to this. Every decision, every interaction, every word or thought in our marriage is birthed out of an understanding or misunderstanding of God, his character, his faithfulness, his covenant love. If we don't rightly understand God, if we haven't let the seeds of his love first be planted, then watered and harvested in our own hearts, we will not ultimately be successful in our relationships. That's the bottom line. Our marriages may go the distance of this ideal timeline. We might not seek divorce, but they will be a hollow shell of what they could have been. Everything God intended them to be because Without a deep understanding of Jesus' heart for us, we will not have the heart to love our spouse at their worst when they need it the most. Without a true awareness of the Father's love for us, we're going to find the end of our lovey-dovey emotions. And you probably already have. I know I have. That happy marriage that we want just fizzles out. Without a grasp of the Holy Spirit and how he's working, where he's working, and how we can work alongside him in our spouse's life, We will blindly and clumsily fumble our way through the challenges we're bound to face in our marriage timeline. There's a lot of value in studying God's covenants in Scripture. They are the backbone, the structure of His love for us. It's also how His story of love for us reads from the beginning to the end. God made covenants with His people like a bridegroom ties himself to his bride. His love knew no bounds, and even when his people turned their backs on him again and again, God held faithful. Then God made a way for all of us who would believe in his name to be his bride. We're the church. Jesus is the mediator of this new covenant. Sin, sin breaks our covenant with God, but it doesn't break his covenant with us. There's no sin too hideous that he would say, you've gone too far, David, I'm done with you. When our spouse sins, we often take that license and then switch our covenant love to a contract distrust. That is until they prove that they're worthy of such a love again. So that leads us to ask this fourth tough question. How has my behavior, my words, my attitude shown my spouse that I'm treating our marriage as a covenant or a contract? I want you to spend a little bit of time on that after you're done listening today. When I don't understand God's covenant love for me, that's when I treat my marriage like a contract. I'm now quote unquote God. And you know what? You didn't follow my rules. So I don't love you. I'm not going to pursue you. In fact, I might even leave you. My love bank for you is being depleted every day. You make one big mistake and I'm out. When I understand God's character though, specifically his mercy and grace and covenantal love for me, He becomes the God of this marriage. And now, no matter what you do, how far you fall, how many times you fail me, I'm going to lean into this relationship. 
I'm going to see you as a fellow sinner, just like me. And I'm going to chase you down to bring you back to Christ's love every single time. The further down our marriage timeline that we go, the closer we will be to each other and to the heart of God's design for our marriage. Because now I know Christ's love for me and I want to show it to you. It's going to be unconditional, loving the most when it's deserved the least, because that's my God and he's helping me to know him better each step of this journey. So what's the one decision that you can make that's going to bring revival to your marriage? Treat your marriage like a covenant and not a contract. To do that, work to know Christ. Know how he loves you and his covenant love spurs us on to have a covenant love in every decision, every interaction, every word, every thought you're going to have in your marriage there forward. Listen to Jesus' heart for you and how it teaches us to have a heart for our spouse. This is in John 15, picking up in verse 12. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. This is my command. Love each other. It's passages like this that help us to grasp his love. He shows it best in that he lays down his life for us. And that's awesome. The same goes for our marriage. We show a covenant love best to our spouse when we lay down our lives for them. When we set aside our preferences. When our selfishness takes a back seat. When no cost to show them love is too high. We can see in verse 15 that God chose us and appointed us to be a receiver of his love. But then he wants us to do something with it. Historically, if your marriage has looked more like a contract, it's not fatal, but it is not something to leave that way. Going forward, your marriage can and should be a covenant to God. This says, Lord, I'm going to give your best to this person. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them. I will be your hands and feet in their world, even when they break their promises. Marriage is a covenant to your spouse that says, I'm going to give to you my best. I will serve you. I will love you. I will be God's hands and feet in your life. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you've earned it. It's not even because I feel it. It's because I understand the depths of my own sin and just how far Christ has gone to love me. I will sacrifice for you because the best sacrifice has been given for me. When I was in the deepest, ugliest despair of my own sin, I covenant my love to you from here forward because God loves you with a covenant love. He's simply chosen me to show it to you in every moment of the days we have together. When your heart is truly decided and fixed upon treating your marriage like a covenant, it will revive the most dead of marriages. It will breathe new life into a marriage that's going through the motion. 
It will put a firm foundation under marriages, new and old. How? Your covenant heart will be seen in a thousand different ways to a skeptical, hurt, and hopeless spouse. It's interesting. Jesus only describes himself once in the Gospels. In Matthew eleven twenty nine. he says that he is gentle and lowly in heart. He goes to the cross to pay for our sins with that attitude. He's the king of all kings. He's the one who holds all creation together. Yet, the only one whose love is truly steadfast, unchangeable, unconditional, he stands with arms wide open, ready to receive us. He conquered death in the grave and he rose again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And right now, as we speak, guess what he's doing? He's interceding for you. He is praying for you. He sees you in your sin and he draws closer to you as a result of that. His grace abounds past, present, and future. Jesus lives and breathes and acts in covenant love for you. And his heart of love for you spurs him on even now to pursue you. Your heart of love for your spouse, based on this kind of love, his love for you, will spur you on to do things you never thought possible. Things you never even wanted to do. To sacrifice for your spouse in ways you would normally avoid. To speak words that build up rather than tear down. To go beyond your emotions to act in ways that are meaningful to your spouse. As you more fully understand God's love for you, and oh, how I pray you will experience it even today, the more your heart will be gentle and lowly like your Savior's, a reflection of him, really. Your heart will be soft and tender and forgiving, but also spurred forward to stretch and go beyond and above to show love to your spouse. You won't be waiting for the other shoe to drop, wondering if you'll have to start your timeline over with somebody else because you're not looking at the end just to reach that finish line and check that box, but you're reveling in today, the moments you get the chance to lavishly love in covenantal fashion. Philippians 2 doesn't include the word covenant, but I I think I see it implied there, modeled for us in the life of Jesus, the moments where he became a servant to show the best of the Father's love. Listen as I read a few verses, how he teaches us about his lowly, gentle heart of love for us, and then what that should do to our hearts, and therefore our lives, and even our marriages. Let me start in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Okay then, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourself. In other words, don't do what comes natural to you, treating your marriage like a contract. He goes on, here's what to do instead. Verse four says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the first step to see revival in your marriage is right there, shifting from our sinful, natural tendency to be selfish to actually really seeing our spouse. What are their real needs? Not just the practical everyday needs, but what are their heart needs? Where do they need to grow in Christ? This is not easy. How do we do this when it's not what we've been practicing over the historical timeline of our marriage? If this is really new to you, look at verse 5. It says you must have the same attitude that Christ had. In the ESV version, it says we have to have the same mindset as Christ. That's how we make the switch from contract to covenant. So what is that mindset and how do we get it? 
Well, if you look at Luke 19.10, you'll see that the mind or the attitude of Christ that's lowly and gentle has always been and always will be to seek and save those who are lost. We have to first admit that that includes us. Having this attitude as our own isn't a one-time thing. It's not something we receive just supernaturally. All of a sudden, it's ours forever. Even Jesus, who made a decision to go to the cross and suffer on our behalf, didn't just shrug at such a thing. No big deal, right? No. In Philippians 2, it says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And he was able to have that thinking, that heart, not because it came naturally to him. His flesh recoiled at the thought of this, but he spent time with his father. He understood his father's love for him and his love for humanity. And it was in that close personal relationship that Jesus was able to humble himself to the point of death. We need our time with the Lord to get to the same place, the place where we hand over all our fleshly desires and say, not my will, but yours be done, God. You and I need to spend time with the Lord to grab a hold of this covenant attitude, that mindset we've been talking about. And when we can do that, we understand the Father's love. We understand that new covenant that we have through Christ. And then by daily obeying the Holy Spirit's leading, all those prompts that he gives us to live out our days with faith, even within the failings of our marriage, this understanding and mindset is going to build for you a totally new foundation, a totally new love for your wife. She's going to see so clearly God's love for her through your words and through your actions, through your attitude. It's going to be really obvious that this isn't you working within your own capabilities. She's probably going to know your limits. But when you spring into action without any coercion from her, when you do it with joy, when you do it without counting the cost it brings to you, she will know God's covenant love for her. And that brings a whole new security in your love for her. God intended for your heart to be 100% involved in this marriage. That's why it's called a covenant. It's not a contract. Jesus is not half in or half out with you. He's called you to be all in with her. If there's a sin that is divided, it is time to make it right. It's impossible to live in known sin, to continue in it, and to have revival in your marriage. Why? Because it's impossible to live in known sin if you truly understand your Savior's covenant love for you. The light of this kind of love does one of two things. It either makes you run from Jesus because at the moment you love your sin more than you love your Savior, or it makes you humbly bring your sin into the light before him and then joyfully thank Jesus for his love because you truly understand it. Make the one decision today that will bring revival to your marriage. Every day, in every thought, belief, word, and deed, treat your marriage like a covenant. Covenant love brings revival, and revival always brings into perfect clarity this timeline of life that we're on. That it's temporary. It's just the beginning of our understanding of God's love. Just a taste of living this kind of love between the two of us in this marriage. Revival not only builds a firm footing, it compels us to strive to the end of our timeline, but also to strain towards what is eternal. 
what lies ahead that we can't even see. Will you make that one decision today that will bring revival to your marriage? Will you treat your marriage like the covenant it is? Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities, but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.